Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn, ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn, tell people to stay off the lawn, compare it to your neighbor's lawn, and complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer... This might be your new favorite. They're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons' frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants. Welcome, everyone, to episode 264 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Toporek, and today we are going to continue with our division previews. This time we're talking about a good division, the Northwest. So before we get to that, a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. And we're now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? It's going well, Brian. I'm getting more and more hyped for a Joker that's coming out next month. Like, that, everything I read about it is just supposedly fantastic. That is in no way surprising as the last remaining DC fanboy on the planet. <laughs> well, I mean, come on. I dare you to find a negative review. I, I have not looked. I've, I bought Borderlands oh 3 yesterday, so I've done nothing but play that game for about 24 <laughs> hours. My eyes are bloodshot. I'm a complete waste of life, so I'm actually grateful for this podcast for giving me <laughs> some purpose. Uh, today, we're also joined by a very special guest. We have Andy Bailey, the co-host of Hardwood Knox, on with us. Andy, how's it going, man? It is going uh, well. I, too, am excited for Joker. I don't know if I even need to be a fanboy. This this feels like a standalone, <laughs> solid movie to me. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, that, that's it, what's really intriguing. Like, it's not going to be you know a part of a larger universe or anything. It seems like it's this is a complete one off. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 ready for it. Yep. <laughs> uh, Andy, before we get underway, uh, could you let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and then where else they can find your work? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey, and you can find my work on Bleacher Report and Forbes. And like Brian said, I've got the Hardwood Knox podcast. So you just search that wherever you do podcasts and you should be able to find us. Very good. Yeah. Please give Andy a follow if you love. You've probably seen him already. Uh, member of Vorp Twitter, as you say in your <laughs> bio. But if you've ever seen per 75 possession stats, blind taste tests of two players oh, based yes. on per 75 stats that's probably Andy. so give him a follow there's a lot oh, of good stuff yes uh guys let's start with the denver nuggets who i think it's safe to say are going to be one of the favorites in the western conference if not the entire nba this year and andy i want to start with you because they really didn't make all that many big changes to their roster like they got to game seven of the western conference semifinals they bring back a very talented young core already, but they also added Jeremy Grant when the Thunder started their fire sale. How big of a difference do you think Jeremy is going to make in Denver this year? 
I think he can make a pretty big difference. And and first of all, I think they were smart not to make any drastic moves. Um, this is a team that's mostly young guys. I, I think every one of their key pieces, with the exception of Millsap, is like 25 and under. Um, so they're they're definitely in a place where they can grow sort of organically, continue to develop that chemistry that they've clearly have with each other. Um, the way that Murray and Harris play off of Jokic is, is one of my favorite things to watch in the NBA. So keeping that together made sense to me, but when this opportunity presented itself to get Jeremy Grant, like you said, OKC basically started a fire sale. Um, that was that was a no-brainer to me. He does a lot of the things that Millsap can do for them. I'm actually really interested to see if they can sneak any small ball five minutes with him. I know that they've got Plumlee uh, on the roster right now, so that might be difficult. But maybe down the line, if there's a trade to be made, uh, I know the Nuggets love Plumlee, but if they could maybe ship him off for a wing and get some more small ball five minutes for Grant, he, he's a guy that I think is one of the only players in the NBA that can legitimately guard one through five. Uh, he showed a, a good three-point stroke last season, so if he maintains that, he's going to he's gonna be really good with the Nuggets. I think one thing, too, is Jokic is very good with cutters, and I think Jeremy Grant has a lot of potential as a cutter. Um, th- this was a no-brainer move to me. Their offseason, despite the fact that they didn't do much, was one of my favorite in the NBA. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. as you said, they didn't really need to make any big changes. This is not a team that's hit its ceiling yet. Like uh, Their core pieces are all m- are mostly 25 and under still. Like There's still a lot of room to grow. And then adding another young guy in Jeremy Grant. I mean, I, again, I think the Nuggets are going to be right up there in the mix of you know, I, I frankly think they're going to have the best regular season record, which we'll get to in a little bit. But um, more, the other big change in the sense that we just haven't seen this guy play yet is Michael Porter Jr., who they drafted in the middle of the first round last year. He missed his whole rookie season with a back injury. He was supposed to play summer league, but then got a little banged up before and did not. So we still have yet to see Michael Porter Jr., but based on the reviews coming out from you know, there's summer off-season practices. It sounds like they have high expectations for him. So what do you expect to see out of MPJ this year? That is a difficult question because he's more or less been injured for two straight years. Um, he didn't really play in college. What did he play, three games or something like that? It was it was very minimal. So we, we don't know what kind of player he's become, really, because growing for, or you know, becoming two years older in, in the meantime, it, it means more maturity. It means... Uh, you know, just a different approach to the game of basketball. So what we really have to go for uh, from is, is is how he played in high school, which doesn't stack up to to the player he presumably will be right now. So it's a very good question. I, I don't know. I, I don't think the Nuggets should have high expectations because clearly he's he's a guy who could you know fall to injuries again. So whatever he gives them, in in my opinion, is just you know cream. Um, I want him to just come in and, and get some shots up and get some reps. Uh, it doesn't really matter if he's struggling in his first year. Just give him a in sort of an isolated role where he doesn't have a huge benefit on the overall team scheme and, and let him develop on his own accord. I think that's the step forward. Uh, if he hits right away and becomes a, a microwave scorer off the bench, that's great. That's another wing you can throw in and can also play some some four. And like Andy said, I'm, I'm I'm all in on the Jeremy Grant at center. Uh, so you could actually have a very versatile lineup with Grant at the five and Porter at the at the four potentially, um, in, in you know bits and pieces here and there. So I, I'm just hoping he kind of fills in an offensive need a little bit and and develops by his own accord. That would be great. 
Yeah, and I mean the the Nuggets have the luxury of not needing him to step in and become a twenty point per scorer right away. Like right, because they make right. Beasley. Right. right. Well, they, I mean they have Beasley, Hernan Gomez, Tori Craig. They have so much there. Yeah, and Murray, Harris, Jokic, Barton, Millsap. Yep. Like they've got a ton of guys. It's you, basically whatever you get out of Porter Jr. this year is gravy. It's like icing on the cake, which is a good problem to have if you're Denver. No, it's it's a complete luxury uh, problem, a uh, luxury situation for them. But uh, I mean, if he hits and he becomes the type of guy you know, that he was talked about during you know, during the pre-draft process, where people really looked at him as a guy who would come in and eventually down the line average 20, 25 points a game. I mean, that that just takes Denver up a notch. Right. Yeah. He he he's like similar to Markel Fultz in Orlando in that way, where yeah, you you don't know what you can expect if anything out of him this year. But if he does hit, if he does live up to his pre-draft hype, he just raises the entire ceiling of that team. Right. But he doesn't have the yips. <laughs> right. At least, who knows? We have a team in a year. Maybe he develops some. <laughs> Two years. <laughs> yeah. True. Uh, Andy, you wrote, you, you waded into the Jokic versus Embiid debate at Bleacher Report earlier this year. You made the objectively wrong decision, but we'll, we'll leave that <laughs> leave that alone for now. But I want to touch on Jokic because I was looking at MVP odds earlier this summer. And, you know, you, you expect they're the typical guys are at the top of the board. Giannis at plus 300, Steph Curry at plus 500. Um, Embiid was at plus 1,200, which I wrote about for Forbes is crazy to me like he's not he's not going to play more than 60 games so don't waste your money on Joel Embiid Jokic is at 1600 or plus 1600 though he's tied with Luka Doncic that seems really like a great value bet to me do you think Jokic could genuinely force his way into that MVP conversation this year first of all did you edit that article the (laughs) Jokic versus Embiid I did not I I think that would have been perfect you did the Dame versus AI one too, right? Oh yeah, yeah, and I I, I do remember your response on that. Yeah, I, I did. I've got to find a Philadelphia legend that I can like prop up for you. Yeah, Charles Barkley. <laughs> he just got the statue. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charles okay. Barkley had some great years there. Yeah. Um, maybe uh, who am I thinking of? Um, gosh, this is I, I feel like an idiot now. Um, I was gonna name some process guy, and the the name just completely uh, left my mind. Anyway, Okafor? <laughs> yeah, let's go with Okafor. That'd be a good one. Great, great. <laughs> um, MVP odds. So, what did I, I was just going to look this up when you asked the question? What did Jokic finish this season? Like fifth in MVP voting? Yeah, I think he was um, like fourth or fifth somewhere around there. Let me see. So he finished fourth yeah. in MVP voting this year. Um, you mentioned something that I think will be key with Joel Embiid, which is always key with him, is availability. And that's that's a big thing uh, that Jokic has has been his entire career is available. Uh, he's he's played 80 games first year, 73, 75, and then 80 again this year. And he's he's not ex- he doesn't have the kind of game that really exposes himself to injuries. Um, he's very ground bound. Uh, I think a lot of basketball injuries happen when you get caught in midair and you land awkwardly or something like that, or somebody hits you while you're in midair. He's so in control of his body and so rarely in the air that I think he's he's just going to be sturdy and reliable his entire career. But that's obviously not the biggest part of his MVP candidacy. Uh, he he just fills the box score, and I think we saw somehow even another level from him in the postseason. Like he's he's put up ridiculous numbers 
throughout his career. But for him to take it up a notch in the playoffs was crazy. Um, he played almost 40 minutes a game, averaged 25 points, 13 rebounds, eight and a half assists, a steal and a block. Um, he literally just does everything. And when that three-point shot is falling, he's especially dangerous. His his number there kind of dropped off in the regular season last year, but he was 40 the year before, and then he was 39 in the playoffs. So if he's up in like the high 30s, low 40s again, um, he he kind of continues with whatever confidence he found in the playoffs. And like you said, if Denver finishes with the best record or close to the best record, all those ingredients together are going to have him in the MVP conversation again. Um, the difficult thing about betting on MVP, though, is there there are so many legitimate candidates uh, mm-hmm. right now. I, th- I think we could probably rattle off close to double-digit guys that you could say he could win the MVP and I wouldn't be shocked. Um, so, yeah. so if you are a betting person, maybe you're looking for good value. And like you said, those odds on Jokic, they, they do look like good value. It's just really hard to make a definitive call. For sure. Yeah, and like Giannis is still lurking there. Like even if Jokic has oh, yeah. you know, the second best season in the NBA, it's not gonna matter if Mr. Sixty percent of his potential, you know, moves into eighty mm-hmm. percent of what he thinks he can be. So yeah, it's more just like I think he's gonna be right in that mix again. And as you said, the narrative it comes down to like do the Nuggets improve upon their record from last year? Do they cement themselves as you know, maybe not the best team of the West in terms of title favorites, but best team in the West in terms of regular season record, which I think is mm-hmm. within their realm of possibility. And more, I want to ask you about that because I know you're also still high on the Clippers, even though we don't know how much Kawhi or Paul George are going to play this year, but they're still, you know, <laughs> regardless, they're still one of the deepest teams in the NBA. So where yeah. do you think the Nuggets finish in this new Western Conference hierarchy? Second behind the clips i could buy that yeah what do you think they improve on like they were 54 28 last year i know matt more of the action network i've seen is expressing some skepticism about them which somewhat surprises me but his whole idea is like they finished i think really well in terms of close games games that went into clutch time um yeah i think they were like i forget the exact record but they were they were above expectations um, and you could see that slipping back to the pack or also just, you know, who knows? It's the NBA. Weird things happen. Sometimes good teams regress a little bit. So do you think they build upon that 54 and 28, finish right in that same range? Or do you think they just slip back a little bit and everyone else in the West beats up on each other and they're all in like that high 40s, low 50s range? I mean, both could happen, but I think they get better. L- look at that team. Uh, I, I mean, Andy said it at the top of the show here. Uh, you know, most of them are under 25. So uh, internal improvements are, are going to happen. Like last year, Gary Harris missed a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that's not going to happen. This, uh, obviously injuries can happen and that can change the entire flow of, of a season. But assuming he's healthy, assuming Will Barden returns to you know being alive, and <laughs> Jeremy Grant, the addition of Jeremy Grant, I absolutely love it. Jamal Murray getting better, Jokic getting better, Michael Porter getting minutes, uh, Juan Hernan Gomez getting better, which is something we never really talk about. We never talk about the guys who are you know good, solid bench players, and we never talk about them improving. We're always talking about the starters, but you know young get bench players they can also improve and, and become significantly better. The same goes from Malik Beasley, Monte Morris, who is one of the best ball handlers um, in the NBA in terms of protecting the basketball as well. Jared Vanderbilt is a guy that I'm extremely high on who should get minutes this year as well. So 
I, I think just the eternal improvement and the addition of Grand and to some extent Porter is, is just going to make them so much better. And they still have Millsap, who is, you know, very much uh, the heart of the locker room and a guy who will direct the flow of like, defensive offense and calling out plays. And I, I just think this team has so much togetherness that I, I fail to see how they could fail. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to, like, if Jokic stays healthy, I think. I mean, if he gets hurt, then I could see a path where they slip down a little bit. But yeah, Oh, I mean, of course, but you can say I, that about every team. Right, exactly. And the continuity is what draws me to think they finish higher than the Clippers in the regular season, just because the Clippers, again, Paul George may miss a little bit of time at the start of the season. We don't know if Kawhi's going to get load managed to the extent that he did last year in Toronto, but... I would be very surprised if he plays a full 82 game season. Something in the 65 to 70 range would not surprise me. Whereas the Nuggets, it's like, yeah, you're adding Jeremy Grant, Michael Porter Jr., but otherwise you're just running back the same team. Like they're going to hit the ground running just because they have more familiarity with the system mm-hmm. that they're running versus the Clippers who have to adjust to, you know, these two high usage presences in Kawhi and Paul George. So, if I was a betting man, I would, you know, pick the Nuggets to win the regular season West title, probably not the playoffs. But frankly, I think they're right in that mix. I think like the Clippers, the Nuggets, and a team we'll talk about a little bit later, all of them have just as good of a shot of getting out of the Western Conference as one another, I think. I mean, I had Denver as my final pick. A finals pick before Kawhi signed the with with the Clippers and and mm-hmm. Paul George got there. I mean, yeah. that just changed it for me. But <laughs> right. uh, I mean, I was I was all in on Denver Milwaukee for the twenty twenty finals. You you spelled Sixers wrong, but we'll, we'll, no. we'll get <laughs> <laughs> Motorist Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have come together to create a better one stop shop for agents and policyholders, encircling you with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance. Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the all-new Samsung Galaxy S10 included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and an 18-month lease. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. S10, 128 gigabyte, $10 a month, up to 250-month credit, applied in two bills, or cancel early in balance, due to basic, up to 930, 20, pay $32 per month per line, while paid data, the organization, to congestion, speed maximum, zero stores, and restrictions apply. Let's go to the Minnesota Timberwolves, guys. And Andy, I'm going to ask you this question because if I ask more, it's just going to turn into more slander as it always does on this podcast. But <laughs> Andrew Wiggins is one of the biggest questions hanging over this team. You know, he has now kind of cemented himself. Like, I want to say he, he is who he is at this point, or at least, you know, that's the impression you get with him just because. He really took a step back when Jimmy Butler came on the team, which is not surprising. He moves from the number two to the number three option. That was always going to happen. The efficiency decline when Jimmy Butler came was somewhat alarming just because you would figure, okay, he's facing less defensive pressure. Even if he's scoring less, his efficiency should go up. And then this past season, Jimmy Butler leaves very quickly. He has his worst season in terms of efficiency, And now you're starting to wonder, like, okay, this kid's 24. You know, he's still got time to figure it out. But we're now five seasons into his career. He's still kind of just a low-efficiency scorer who doesn't do much else, doesn't take advantage of his physical gifts on defense as much as you would expect. Are you out on Wiggins, or do you think there's still a path for improvement for him? 
So <laughs> Wiggins is a tough call for me. Um, he's I don't think he's quite as young as people realize. I mean, five years in the NBA is five years in the NBA. He's already he's already 24 years old, going on 25. He's like halfway to 25. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm not ready to give up on him yet, but I'm certainly close. Um, one one thing that does give me a little hope with him is the fact that. Did you guys hear uh, Ryan Saunders on? I think it was the Low Post, like a couple months ago. Um, it, it was it was some big NBA podcast, and he said some things about Wiggins that I found encouraging. Some some things they're going to try to do with him to um, to sort of try to convince him uh, about shot values and to to get rid of the long twos that he shot for so much of his career. If he can embrace that. Um, I think there's maybe still an outside chance, and like you said, he's never really he's never really used the physical gifts that he has in the way that he should. Um, he's a guy who came into the NBA, and there was obviously a lot of hype around him. But but one of the main things that was hyped was his ability to defend. Um, he's throughout his career averaged right at one steal a game. I think that should probably be higher, right at half a block. Um, he he just seems like someone who could be more committed. Mm-hmm. On the defensive end, but if he doesn't figure out, you you mentioned the word efficiency a few times. If he doesn't figure that out, it, pretty much everything is for naught. Um, a sub fifty true shooting percentage in today's NBA, when you have the role of a scorer, is just that's really really bad. And that's where he was last year. He was forty nine point three. The year before, he was fifty and a half. Um, he's gone down in each of his last four seasons, which is obviously not encouraging. Um, but as the, the league average true shooting percentage continues to creep up, I believe it was 56 this last year. Yeah. If you've got a volume scorer who's below 50, um, you are costing yourself valuable points on, on many possessions per game. And uh, again, if he, if he can't figure that out, it, it might not matter what else he improves upon. Yeah, for sure. I, I wrote kind of the optimist take of him uh, at the basketball writers recently at bballwriters.com and you can use the code the the nba pod for 10 percent off your daily uh, monthly or annual subscription there and basically my conclusion was they just need to kind of reduce his role which is not great for a guy you're paying almost 30 million dollars yeah. a year but i think they basically just need to say okay you need to be a three and d guy because we have now we have jared culver who we got number six overall we have Robert Covington, who is one of the league's better 3 and D players. Like, Wiggins just needs to fashion himself after Robert Covington and then build upon that mm-hmm. from there. Or And then you have Josh Kogi coming off the bench. So you have a bunch of these versatile defensive wings who should, in theory, reduce pressure on Wiggins to be, like, the number one wing stopper every night um, and should take some of the scoring load off of him. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns is clearly the number one option there. Those guys should help... <laughs> in that regard but i feel like basically they they just need to say like look i don't care how much you're being paid you're interchangeable with any of these other wings until you prove that you can handle that role and then we will increase your responsibility accordingly there's just one problem with that theory brian in 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 regards to him becoming a three and d player he can't hit the three and he can't defend (laughs) i mean he can defend it's i i don't think he can't defend i think it's just like he doesn't do it consistently well, I mean, even when we see him being at his highest point defensively, is he a game changer defensively? No, but I don't think he needs to be. 
I mean, like, ideally he would be, but, I mean, we just need to see consistency out of him. I think that's the biggest thing for him this year is just you need to know what you're getting out of Andrew Wiggins every night. And, it, you know, I don't care what he does in terms of scoring. He doesn't need to be a 25 points per game guy. If he is a consistent defender who, as Andy Mm -hmm. said, if he's cutting out some of those inefficient long twos, and I saw the Timberwolves in their practice facility this summer – put up a shot chart with points per shot in every area of the court as a reminder of like these around, you know, these long twos are the worst shots you could possibly take. Don't do that. So I, I think Andy, you, you nailed something about, you know, what Ryan Saunders was saying, like it would not surprise me if now he's had a full off season as head coach, you know, the interim tag is off. He can put more of an imprint on his team. It would not surprise me if one of his primary focuses is, Let's get Andrew Wiggins to like figure it out. I don't know what, mm-hmm. what it's going to take, but we just, you know, we can't be paying $30 million to this guy if he's going to be a minus on both ends of the court. So I don't care where we start figuring it out first, defense or offense. I'm guessing it's defense, but let's get more consistency out of him and then we can build upon it from there. I got a number for you guys, real quick. Okay. Um, <laughs> I just I was messing around while we were talking about Andrew Wiggins. Um, here are the only players in the last five years who took 15 shots a game and had a season with a true shooting percentage under 50. Um, Al Jefferson in 2014-15. Uh, he was right at 50. Derek Rose has done it twice, 14-15 and 15-16. Mm. Kobe Bryant has done it twice, 2014-15 and 15-16. And then Kemba Walker did it in 2014-15. Um, and if, if you've paid much attention to the history of Kimball Walker, it just like flipped after that season. Yeah. He was really bad efficiency wise up until then. And then he's been pretty good since. Um, but like I said, this is, <laughs> that is dangerous territory, uh, to be in when you shoot that much and you shoot that inefficiently, you, you're basically just, um, you're putting your team behind the eight ball when you do that. So he's, they, they, all that stuff about shot values and efficiency and all that stuff that they're stressing this summer is incredibly important. Yeah. For sure. Uh, Let's go into one of the guys who could take some pressure off of him this year. Jarrett Culver, who they got at number six. They traded 11 and Dario Saric for him, which I think was a great move on their end. Um, What impact do you see Culver making as a rookie this year? I really like Culver. He, he's a ball handler. He's a passer. He's a defender and one of those disruptor defenders. It, the, the knock on him is, uh, unfortunately, what we just talked about, like efficiency. He's not a great long-range shooter. Uh, he, he's coming in with you know, a certain expectation that he's going to have to build out his game towards the, the three-point line. So he's probably going to take a lot of mid-range and long twos here in the first season. Hopefully, you know, with the whole analytically driven front office they're going to find alternative to that, but just the just his you know, versatility and his his length and height. You know, he's such a disruptive defensive player. Um, can guard at least three positions probably right off the bat: the two, the three, and the four, and, and could probably even guard some one. To be honest with you, I I just I'm enjoying the fact that they got another playmaker at the wing position because Wiggins wasn't that, and I felt when the ball had to go through Carl Anthony Towns at so on so many possessions, you know, eventually defenses would just keen on him too, too much, and Jeff Teak is just not that you know natural playmaker. I understand that he averaged eight assists per game, but he's not a guy you can consistently have make decisions on the fly. So, getting a a secondary ball handler in on the wing position is just so great for them. 
he, he's, he was a two-year man at Texas Tech, so he's also coming in with a, a little bit more experience, and I think it's going to fit that entire roster a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see him and Covington together. I think those guys yeah. are just going to be an absolute nightmare, regardless of what happens. And a Koji. Yeah, you know, re- regardless of what happens with Wiggins. I really do think like having those guys around, it's kind of like sink or swim time for Wiggins, because if those guys are out playing him, I wonder if Ryan Saunders says, like, I don't care how much money you're making, you're not playing better than our rookie, or you're not playing better than our second-year guy, and you're not going to get minutes until you do. So uh, it's one of the big storylines hanging over the Timberwolves is Wiggins and then these other wings and how they all fit in together. Uh, Andy, I think the other one is Carl Anthony Towns, who, you know, he's been – he was very passive early in the season when the Jimmy Butler stuff was going down, and it was sending a somewhat concerning message because you would want him to kind of – you would think it would lay a fire under his ass for basically Jimmy Butler to be throwing him under the bus and saying he's soft and like doesn't work hard enough. Jimmy leaves Towns rebounds pretty well. He you know he finished the season averaging 24 12 in only 33 minutes a game. So in terms of per 36 minutes, uh, set career highs in both categories. Also averaged 1.8 blocks per 36. You know 2.3s. Like the guy's super well rounded in theory was mentioned in that like you know next great big unicorn discussion for a while. What do you want to see out of Towns this year? Where are the next steps you'd like to see from him? Well, he he did have a crazy close to the season. You mentioned that he he got sort of his confidence and aggression back after Jimmy Butler left. His post All Star break numbers. Um, we mentioned the wild numbers that Jokic put up in the playoffs, but. Towns from the All-Star break to the end of the season was at 28 points, 13 and a half rebounds, almost four assists, over a block, over two threes. Um, his true shooting percentage in that stretch was almost 64. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was just out of his mind. And that's over 20 games. Um, is that something that he can do for 75 to 80 games? I, I don't know, but I don't think he's far off that. Um, I, I think he can be a guy who averages around those for an entire season, which is remarkable i mean those are those are wild wild numbers for anybody to put up but I, in terms of a of a step that he can take um i still think he's he's got a little ways to go defensively um he's got the size and the athletic ability athletic ability uh to be an impact guy on that end and i think he is from time to time but we just mentioned this with wiggins it's it's sort of a consistency thing um if, if he can be like a dominant, legitimate rim protector, Minnesota is a pretty interesting team. That, that's another thing about the Western Conference is these, we, we have a bunch of teams that are kind of forgotten, mm-hmm. I think, to a lot of people outside of their own fan bases. And I think Minnesota is maybe one of them. They have a lot of just raw talent. Uh, I think Carl Anthony Towns, if he's on a winning team, he is, he is a guy that would be talked about so much because the numbers he's putting up are really absurd. Um, you can stack his numbers from his first, what has he played, four seasons? Um, up against, yeah, four seasons. If you if you stack his first number or first four years of, of production up against just about any big man in history, he's comparable. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if he's suddenly on a team that's good, I think he gets a lot more attention, but I think he's a part of it. Like he, he's going to have to become probably not quite as impactful as he is on offense because that would be a, a, a really I mean you're like an all-time great player if you're as impactful defensively as he is offensively and you got both of those together mm-hmm. but 
he does need to be a little bit more consistent on the defensive end. He's got the size and the ability to do so. He's just got to do it a little bit more consistently. Yeah, for sure. He puts up the good numbers in terms of defense, you know, almost a steal and a block and a half per game. But, yeah, I think just in terms of a shot deterrent, you would like to see a little bit more out of him. But, mm-hmm. yes, like he's very much on the right path, and I totally agree with you that if he's on a better team, he's talked about as, you know, I forget where he showed up in Sports Illustrated's top 100, but, like, he would be in that five, six, seven range if he's on a winning team, I think. Yeah. His defensive rating, um, so so I just looked this up on pbpstats.com. Over, over his entire career, when he's on the floor, the Timberwolves give up 112.4 points per 100 possessions, which is not great. Yeah. Um, when he's off the floor, it doesn't it doesn't drop off significantly, but it does get better, 110.6. Um, so if, if you are a superstar player, especially as a big, and you're going to lead your team into uh, any level of contention, you've you've got to at least be like a slight plus um, yeah. defensively. Yeah, for sure. And, I, and again, I kind of wonder if having all of these rangy defensive wings is going to help Towns as well. Like if you're not getting... It should, yeah. Yeah, if like they're not getting blown by, it should put Towns in more advantageous situations, I would think. So that's definitely mm-hmm. a big storyline hanging over the Timberwolves as well. And then more... Is it possible that they're in playoff contention this year? I know the West is super deep, but they they don't strike me as like the Suns or the Grizzlies where I just don't see any chance of it happening. Like I I could right. sort of foresee a path to the playoffs even if it's not especially likely. Yeah. No, I, that's exactly the camp I fall into as well. I mean, you know, when you ask me in, in terms of what I believe the, the immediate reaction is no. But it's not a screaming, overwhelming no. It's just <laughs> right. kind of a feeling. It says no. I, you know, I think there are better alternatives. Whereas, if you asked me with the Suns, it would have been, you know, a, a, a complete choir of just no all the way through. <laughs> right. uh, but here, it's it's no. I, I do see a path towards the playoff, but it. It's contingent of a lot of things, right? Everything basically has to go right. Uh, mm-hmm. Jerry Culver has to be, you know, a, a rookie of the year candidate. Jake Lehman has to come in and be a, a solid offensive contributor from the bench. Josh Okoji had to take like a major step up. Uh, Wiggins has to find a way to be, if not, you know, if directly efficient, just n- not inefficient. Jeff Teague has to play within himself. You know, Gorky Jang would have to provide good minutes, and uh, you know, uh, presumably a lot of other Western Conference teams would have to go through a lot of injuries, but. Outside of that, yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there is a path there. They're not as hopeless as the Suns. Um, yeah. I agree with that. But ultimately, no, I, I don't think they're we're going to find them in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, I would say they're like the third or fourth worst team in the West just on paper, but that's just a testament to how deep the West is. Like, if they were in the East, mm. I think they would be right in that playoff mix. Like, I'd put them oh, right for in sure. there with Miami and Detroit and Chicago. And, yeah. For sure. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. Atlanta's getting playoff buzz in the East. I'd put the Timberwolves over Atlanta, at least in terms of, like, you know, potential. Yeah, and Orlando, to too. Yeah, potential to win this year, not yep. Atlanta. Much higher on their future than Minnesota. Let's, oh, yeah, all, all there. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn, compare it to your neighbor's lawn, and complain about having to mow the lawn again. 
Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer... This might be your new favorite. They're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons' frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants. Let's pivot now, guys, to the Oklahoma City Thunder, who had one of the best and worst off-seasons of any team. Worst in the sense that they lost their two superstars, but best in the sense that, holy hell, they got a lot from Paul George and even Russell Westbrook. Like, kudos to Sam Presti for giving that team at least the starting blocks of a major, major rebuild. So, Andy, that's the first question with the Thunder is how do they adjust to life without Russell Westbrook, who's been on that team for 11 seasons, and now Paul George? Well, you mentioned it um, when you framed the discussion for this team. They have a war chest of picks that I don't, I don't know if we've ever seen one quite like what they have after this summer. Um, I'm pulling up the picks that they're owed right now. And um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 2020 first from Denver, 2020 second from Chicago, 2021 first from Miami and or Houston, 2022 first from the Clippers, 2023 first from the Clippers, 2023 first from Miami, 2024 first from Houston, 2024 first from LA, 2024 second from Memphis, 2025 first from LA, um, 2026 first from Houston, and 2026 first from LA. Um, they, They are loaded with assets, and there's a bunch of different ways that they can use them. Um, they're obviously not going to draft like 35 players over the next five years. Right. Um, so they've they've got options for trades. Um, they've got their own interesting players already in house, like Shea Gilgis Alexander. I think has a lot of potential. Um, and they've got kind of the two track rebuild that I I like when teams can sort of get a rebuild going um, in the background for for lack of a better term while still fielding a competitive team. And that's what they can do this year. Um, they've got they've got a really solid starting five if it stays together and if it's healthy, with Chris Paul, uh, Gilgis Alexander, Roberson, Gallinari, who I think is I mean he's had his own health issues for his entire career, but when he's healthy, I think he's criminally underrated. Mm. And then Stephen Adams, um, that's that's a really tough five. They're gonna make they're gonna make some games difficult for people. Um, and if they if they stick together, I might be stepping on a question that's coming later, but. I think they could compete for a playoff spot as well. Now they'll they'll probably be looking to trade Chris Paul and add to that already um, very deep um, repertoire or uh, reservoir of assets that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they just have so many options going forward right now. And obviously, it's not ideal to lose two superstars in the same offseason in Westbrook and George. But if you're if you're put in the position they were, where it's basically like, hey, trade us. Um, to come out the way they did is is really really good. Yeah, for sure, and I, and I think that's really the best way. You know, if Thunder fans are understandably upset about losing both of those guys, the best way to adjust is like appreciate the guys you have, but realize that 
probably SGA is the only one, the only like guaranteed long-term piece to this puzzle. So, you know, that mm-hmm. it's it, it's probably only going to get worse from here, as you said. Like I, I think they're probably going to start looking to strip this thing down to the studs eventually. So, right now they'll at least be remotely competitive. For a while they may not be. So enjoy the the last remaining vestiges of you know supreme competitiveness or at least being in that playoff mix and then look ahead to the future because like i mean look what sam presti did the last time he embarked upon a rebuild he drafted three mvps at back to back to back years like the guy Mm -hmm. has shown you know this is not like a team like the suns that has missed the playoffs for five straight years and is no closer to making it than they were or you know, a little bit closer now than they were a couple of years ago, but it's going to take years and years and years for them to even have the building blocks. The Thunder, I think, could get back there somewhat quickly, just given the huge amount of assets, as you mentioned, Andy. But, Mort, that does raise the question of Chris Paul, who has mm-hmm. three years and $124 million left on his yeah. contract, I believe, um, who we thought was one of the most untradeable contracts of the NBA until Russell Westbrook came along. So the Thunder at this point seem like they're just willing to go in to the regular season with Chris Paul. They figure he can be a good mentor for SGA. And if nothing else, I mean, guys who signed the summer can't be traded before December 15th. That wipes out like 40% of the NBA. So come December 15th, it'll just be a lot easier to trade Chris Paul just because there's a much bigger collection of players who can be traded. Do you think Chris Paul is a member of the Thunder after the trade deadline this year? Yeah, I, I think he should be. We we had this discussion a couple months back where I was like, oh, I wanted to hand the keys to Shy, but you know what? Looking at it, I, I do think that Paul is he, he's just so good. Uh, he may be a pain in the ass in the locker room sometimes, but but his his knowledge of the game and and the way he just maneuvers pick and rolls and the way he just you know, handles himself on the basketball court and in basketball sense. I mean that's that's going to prove invaluable to to Gilgis uh, Alexander I think so I, I would actually look to keep him around for for the full season plus you know it's probably easier or, or it is absolutely easier to trade Chris Paul with two years left on his deal instead of full yeah. three um, so, so so that's another aspect you can put into it like next year's free agent class is not very not great at all so maybe <laughs> right. there's a chance that some team you know going out saying hey you know what Chris Paul we we might be able to get him and. You know, we know he's older. We know he's not, you know, in the league for another ten years. But he can prove valuable for us over the next two or three years. So why not? So yeah, I I expect them to uh, to keep him on the roster for for this season. Yeah, that's a good point about the free agent class. It, it, Chris Paul could easily be one of those guys who it's like, okay, well, we're not going to spend our money on, you know, but the three good like Reggie Jackson who might be the best point guard on the market. Like, we'd rather have Chris Paul at $34 million or whatever than Reggie Jackson at that same number. So that's definitely a possibility. And at, if nothing else, I just don't think they should really, like, they shouldn't have... Because I think they would have to give up picks to get off of Chris Paul right now, and I just don't think there's any real incentive. Oh, yeah, they can't afford to do that. They don't have enough picks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I mean, why would you give up a pick just (laughs) to get off that I agree. You know, there's no no harm in having him. I think it'll be interesting to see how desperate Miami gets. Yeah. If they're, like, like kind of in the middle of the pack in the East, um, 
I don't know, like sixth or seventh around the trade deadline. I think they might get desperate and that that talk for Chris Paul might um, be reinvigorated. I think I think you made a lot of good points about why he might stay there, but I, th- what they did this summer, I just wouldn't be surprised to see anything at this point. If they can get any value for Chris Paul or Daniil Gallinari, I wouldn't be surprised if they pounced on it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I would even throw Steven Adams in that mix too, who I like a yeah, lot. Yeah, for but, sure. I mean, I, I don't know why you're paying... $26, $27 million to Steven Adams on a team that's going to probably rebuild soon. Um, yeah. Andy, what do you think? We mentioned SGA before um, as kind of their one long-term piece. How high are you on him based on what you saw last year in L.A.? I like uh, Gildress Alexander a lot. People who've um, maybe followed me, know this but i like big guards and i like like uh small bigs um <laughs> i am a fan of positionless basketball and i think shea, Gil- shea gilgis alexander is a guy who profiles very very well for positionless basketball um can do a little bit of everything he, he obviously wasn't asked to have a huge role with the clippers last season although he did start 73 games which is pretty big for a rookie um but he'll he'll have more responsibility as a scorer, as a playmaker. Even though he's alongside Chris Paul, I think they're going to want to get him as many reps as they can because, like you said, he's probably the only long-term piece who's on the roster right now, and he's a good one. Um, you know, he, he shot above average from three last season, and like I said, he just does a little bit of everything, and 6'6", six, six that's, that's what I really like. Um, he, he's interchangeable from one through three, and I... I, I wouldn't even hesitate to, well, maybe hesitate a little bit to say like one through four, just based on the way the game is going. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if five or 10 years from now, when Shea, Gil- Shea Gilgis Alexander is in his prime, if lineups with four guys who are like 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", and one center are very, very commonplace. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're getting closer and closer to truly positionless basketball. And he's a guy that's, that's just perfect for it in my mind. I really like that idea. That's actually yeah. that would be really fun. I mean, it it is the aside from that mountain of draft picks. That is the big hope for the Thunder is that this kid turns out. I mean, it seems like the Clippers were very reluctant to give him up in the in the George trade, but they realized we're getting Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. We have to. But it seems like they mm-hmm. thought this kid had All Star upside. And yeah, I mean, the fact you know starting not only did he start seventy three games. He started 73 games under Doc Rivers, who is famously reluctant to rely on rookies too much. So that yeah. that speaks to uh, how high Rivers and the Clippers organization was on him. So, yeah, I, I think if you're a Thunder fan looking for hope in this, you know, very otherwise sad offseason, Shea Gilgis Alexander plus 15,000 draft picks should certainly <laughs> let you sleep at night. Um if the Thunder don't blow this thing up by the trade deadline, if they keep Chris Paul, keep Steven Adams, keep Danilo Gallinari, do you think they might be in the mix for the playoffs this year? Can I copy-paste my, my answers to that question from the Wolves? <laughs> yeah. All right. Are you yeah. higher on them than the Wolves, then? Well, again, like you said, that depends on, on the roster, right? I've, right. Like, like Andy said, Danilo Gallinari is tremendous, and we really don't talk a lot about him. Uh, or enough about him. Uh, Shai is, is absolutely fantastic. I love him. I think he's going to take such a huge step up this year. 
Dennis Schroeder is the problem to me. I I really don't think he's a positive player to have on neither a roster or on the court necessarily. So if his negative influence could be uh, somehow negated by you know a, a lot of young players stepping up and doing a lot of right good stuff, then then yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a pathway there where they should be better than than Minnesota. Uh, Chris Paul alone just being able to be such, such an influential player at the point guard position, which is such a crucial part of the NBA nowadays. Uh, yeah, I, I think OKC is, is better than Minnesota at this point. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think they're right in that like 10-11 mix probably, mm-hmm. where, as you said with Minnesota, it would probably take an injury to knock one of the teams that we think is going to make the playoffs down a few pegs. But yeah, I mean, there's they're not... I don't think they're a 20-win team as currently constructed. Like, I think right. they're a 35-40 win team, and if things break right, they could get up to 45. Mm. Co- coincidentally, right, if we just look at it from an offensive perspective, is there actually a better uh, front court partner, you know, at the four spot for Carl Anthony Towns than Danilo Gallinari if you're playing the mm-hmm. trade game? I would love that. <laughs> is Robert Covington an allowable answer? Well, I, I look at him as a three. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Let's go to Portland, guys. And the big question with them is Hassan Whiteside, who will be stepping in for Yusuf Nurkic, at least. We don't know when Nurkic is going to come back, but I'm assuming he misses a good chunk of this season. So Hassan Whiteside will move in as the starter after arriving from Miami in that four-team Jimmy Butler sign-in trade. Andy, we saw Hassan get uh, disgruntled in Miami to the point that Eric Spolestra started playing Bam Adebayo over him, which led him to become even more disgruntled. They Mm. are now in Portland. I mean, until Nurkic comes back, he's going to have less competition for playing time. And he's got Damian Lillard in the locker room to hopefully keep him in check. I mean, when Nurkic came to Portland, he had a lot of these same attitude questions because he also got kind of checked out in Denver, and then he cemented himself as an impactful player. What do you think happens with Whiteside in Portland this year? I think that's a really good point about environment. Um, There's no way to objectively do this, but I think if we were ranking the best leaders in the NBA, most people would have Damian Lillard in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think Whiteside will enjoy being around him. It's it's a strong organization. Miami's a strong organization too, Um, but it's also one that has that reputation that you know it doesn't suffer fools. Um, And not that Portland does, but I think it's maybe a little bit more player friendly than Miami is. 
So maybe it's a better environment for him, um, you know, mentally and emotionally. But I think there are some serious um, basketball questions with him. Um, one of the things that I think made Nurkic so good for Portland last year is he was sort of unleashed as a playmaker. Um, I, I don't think people realize how much he was doing as a passer, and I don't have the number off the top of my head, so give me a second to look it up. But <clears throat> per 36 minutes, he averaged over four assists a game last year. And I, that, this is one of my favorite things about the NBA right now is, is the way that centers are being unleashed as passers. I think Jokic has changed the perception of that quite a bit over the last few years. And if you have a playmaker who can sort of facilitate from the high post or the top of the key, the way that bigs like Nurkic and Jokic can, it opens some things up, especially if you've got great scoring guards like Lillard and McCollum. Um, Hassan Whiteside <laughs> is like a famously bad passer. He, he's a non-passer. Um, there was some. He, he has ticked up a little bit in the last two years, um, but ticked up for him is a relative term. Like his first three years with Miami, he averaged uh, 0.5 assists per game. Um, <laughs> that's up to over the last season, last two seasons, um, he's at 0.9. <laughs> there we go. So uptick for him is yeah, it's it's a relative term. Um, if he is very committed to. Uh, <laughs> posting up and, and throwing up janky 10 to 15 footers, I think there's going to be a problem um, for them. I mean, he's, he's, I don't think he's ever going to be as impactful as Nurkic was last year, but they're going to have to convince him to pass the ball a little bit more. And uh, I think that's the biggest key. I, I think a lot of the criticisms about his defense, while they were warranted, I think he's gotten better over the last few years about not chasing blocks quite as much, uh, being a little bit better about help defensive position. Um, he's, he's not great. He's not, you know, the best in any of those things, but I think he's better than his reputation suggests. But I, to me, the biggest thing is being a cog in an offense that has two very, very good offensive players in Damian Lillard and, and, and CJ McCollum and understanding that they're going to be at their best when I'm not dominating the offense. Yeah. No, I forget who, I think it was Tom Haberstroh back when he was on the heat beat, but he had like a... It was a white side assist tracker, and I think he was comparing it, I want to say, to turnovers, but that can't be right because, like, it, that's a, a no contest. But I, I forget the exact thing he was comparing it to, but he was, like, tracking assist versus something, and it was always just, like, hilarious how bad white side was as a passer. So that's a really fair point. He, yeah, for a long time, he just flat out did not pass. Yeah. Um, so they, they're going to have to work on that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's possible that he develops into that this year, I guess. But it's a, it's a fair point about how his role at least will shift um, from Nurkic's. Uh, more the the other big change that Portland made this summer, sending out Evan Turner, getting Kent Bazemore in exchange, and it was a deal that on the surface seems very good for Portland because you know when that deal got announced, I remember our first reaction was, okay, what else does Atlanta get? Mm-hmm. And the answer was nothing. It was just a straight-up swap. So how much of an upgrade, if at all, do you think Bazemore is over Turner for Portland? Well, see, this is the thing. Like, Evan Turner, I feel, is way more skilled. Like, he's a better ball handler, a better passer. Uh, I, I think he's just a smarter basketball player. But he just doesn't feel that need of outside shooting and dynamic scoring that Ken Bazemore can provide. So Bazemore is going to come in, he's going to shoot the ball, he's going to take more shots than Turner, and hopefully, at least that's, this is what Portland's hoped for, 
is to basically provide Dame and CJ with a break, especially during the regular season. So they aren't you know forced to chug up 20 shots a game apiece. Uh, and, and that's why also why they kept Rodney Hood. That's why, you know, Sack Collins is probably going to get a, a bigger uh, offensive responsibility this year as well. So uh, I think he's going to fill that need of floor spacing a lot better than Turner. Um, they need to find some, you know, some playmaking off the bench. But, you know, presumably they're they're very high on uh, Anthony Simons, which I understand. Mm-hmm. So they may <laughs> expect that to come from there. Um, yeah, but but ultimately I really like Basemore's uh, presumed role in this offense compared to to Evan Turner. Yeah, I think the outside shooting is the big thing because I mean Turner was basically their backup ball handler, which yeah is good. It's a, that was the best way to maximize him, but I don't know that even still that's not necessarily the best way, or he's not the best fit alongside the rest of that team. Whereas Bazemore, at least you know last season he only shot thirty two point zero percent from three, which is obviously not great but the four seasons prior he averaged 36.5 percent which is on 3.4 times per game which is a lot better so yeah i think he'll he'll fill that need there and <laughs> andy i gotta ask you about anthony simons because mort has been high on this kid the like for the last year and a half so we already know where he stands on him <laughs> um and that was one of the reasons he was excited to see Portland last year was Anthony Simons, and then Anthony Simons didn't play all that much. But this year, it genuinely sounds like Portland does expect him to take a big second-year leap. He was the talk of Portland at Summer League. So what are your expectations for him this year, and do you see him carving out a significant rotation role? So first of all, I do. I'm going to throw a white side number at you that you guys can just uh... – Oh, Let no. marinate while I talk about Simons, though. <laughs> <laughs> Among <clears throat> the players with at least as many minutes as Hassan Whiteside in the three-point era, um, there's 876 of those guys. Whiteside is 860th in assist percentage. Um, <laughs> so just to hammer that home. Good. Now, <laughs> Anthony Simons. Um, a lot of the same things that I said about Shea Gilgis, Shea Gilgis Alexander apply here. Um, however, he's he's not quite as big as Shea. He's six foot four, but I think he's he's got great lateral quickness, good wingspan, so he can maybe make up for that lack of two inches. Um, he he's a guy who, as sort of the third guard, and I think that's what they're going to have to do um, next season because they don't really have a backup point guard. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be sort of a three-combo guard rotation for Portland, I think, where Lillard, McCollum, and Simons all do essentially the same thing when they're on the floor. That's that's maybe a little bit of a stretch because Lillard's always going to be doing a little bit more than anybody else on the Blazers. But um, I think he's got a role going forward. And, um, <laughs> Nick, I mean, he scored 37 points in that last game of the season, played all 48 minutes. Now, obviously, it's not it's not the best sample to be working from I mean it was essentially an entire game of garbage time mm-hmm. but 37 points in an NBA game is 37 points in an NBA in an NBA game um, as Nick Young enthusiasts would tell you <laughs> uh, but I, I I'm high on him I, I think he's got great athleticism um, decent size for the guard position does a little bit of everything like I kind of like I said with uh, SGA um, there, there's a lot to be intrigued about with this kid yeah yeah, for sure. And it, it, I mean, I wrote about it at uh, bballwriters.com earlier this summer, like kind of what how they build upon their Western Conference finals run last year. 
And that's where I saw all of this positive off-season Simons buzz, and I included some of that in that article, so you can go check that out uh, if you're in need of Anthony Simons hype heading into the year. So, Mort, that is kind of the question hanging over Portland this year, is they had that thrilling run to the Western Conference Finals, um, you know, <laughs> ending OKC as a franchise, basically, and then yeah. the, the seven-game thriller over Denver, which is one of the best playoff series of any this past year um obviously the western conference finals did not go as well as they would have hoped the warriors knocked them out pretty quickly but they actually i mean they were competitive in every game it wasn't a complete route which is great so how do they build upon that moving forward or can they or do you think like that was you know based on the clippers denver the team we're going to talk about next all of them made some off-season upgrades as well do you think that was probably the peak of what we see from this Dame CJ core in Portland? Uh, not necessarily, but I, I do think this year they're probably not going to have the same results in the playoffs, but I, I think they might be a better team. Mm-hmm. It's just that teams around them just got that much better and the West's that much deeper, honestly. Yeah. So the, the, the level of competition was just, has just improved so drastically that you can't expect them to make the Western Conference Finals. Again, even though I, I look at them as a team that has a lot of potential to be significantly better. I, I definitely understand every Hassan Whiteside issue that Andy presented. Um, but at the same time, it, it beats not having a big man, really. I mean, they needed to have someone in there while Nurkic is out. Uh, you, I don't think you can rely on a 65-year-old Pau Gasol at this point. That's, <laughs> it's not great. Uh, but but I love the Nasir Little uh, selection in the draft. I love the Mary Hosonia acquisition. I still think there there is something there in Gary Trent Jr. as he progresses in his career. Mm-hmm. So... And, and I love Zach Collins, by the way. I mean, I think he's going to be one of those guys who could end up in, in the MIP conversation, ultimately. Uh, I think they are going to be a better basketball team, but the results... Uh, I, I There is definitely a worst-case scenario wherein that last season was their peak in terms of team-oriented results. Yes. Yeah, that's a really good way of framing it. Because, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. And this is the first year where I'm not low on Portland going into the year. So I would like a pat on the back from all Portland fans. Well, I mean, that's my influence over the past three years, though. I mean, yeah. It's basically indoctrination at this point. <laughs> well, also just see, I mean, it, you know, they, they were the team after they got swept by the Pelicans, I think it was two years ago, where the whole offseason conversation around them was like, okay, it's probably time to break up Dame and CJ, right? And then they didn't, and they valued continuity, and then right. it got them to the Western Conference Finals. So it's... That was a nice reminder of like not every team that seems like it hit its ceiling actually has. Like not every team is the Lob City Clippers where things just keep going wrong for them. Like sometimes if you have a 45-50 win team every year, there's value in just keeping it together and then one year you get a a mm-hmm. break. Like one year you avoid Golden State and Houston in your side of the bracket and the pathway opens to the Western Conference Finals. So even if, you know, even if uh, they aren't the best team or second best team or third best team going into the playoffs, who knows what happens? Like, there's so much competition this year that, you know, all it takes is one weird injury to another team or just one upset, and suddenly they have a path back to the Western Conference Finals or even the Finals. So I'm interested to see what happens with Portland this year. I think, really, this whole Northwest is just a fascinating division. When and, I when I look at Portland and I imagine them in the East, 
I'm I'm struggling finding out like where to put them. I, I'm even considering putting them like ahead of the Sixers. I and that's you. not me. Tr- no, I'm not. Oh, I'm not God. trying to troll. I, I'm not. Tr- I'm legit. I'm legitimately not trying to troll you. But I mean, in the East, in, in an Eastern Conference setting, I think they would absolutely dominate, right? Yeah, I mean, I, they would be clearly the third best team in the East. I think. <laughs> you just you, you just had to get Philly in there. Yeah, I mean, I. Okay. Yeah. They're, Philly's too. I think Philly and Milwaukee are comfortably better than Portland. I, okay. I'm, I'm still sort of on the fence about Boston. Um, I, I think I would have them in sort of a throw their names in a hat with Boston, Indiana. Um, wow, Indiana. Though. I don't know. Okay, that's I, I think Indiana will still be solid. Uh, they, they've got to sort of hold the fort until Malcolm or not Malcolm um, till Old Depot gets back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they have a lot of interesting pieces to me. I think Sabonis is another one of those playmaking bigs. I'm really curious to see how he and Turner fit together. Mm. Um, I, I think it's, well, we're not talking Northwest Division right now, but I do think it's interesting how a lot of teams are going back to like traditionally sized um, backcourts. But Portland would obviously be better if they were in the East, but I do think there are some really, really good teams over there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying the Sixers are better than them. Okay, you are <laughs> forgiven for your Joel Embiid. Nikola Jokic. I've today. I've gotten a lot of flack for how high I am on the Sixers. Actually, um, that that starting five is crazy. But yeah. let's. I, I mean, I'm I'm getting us off into multiple tangents. Here. <laughs> we'll, we'll hit the Atlantic in a future episode. I promise. Um, but... <laughs> and now an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. And now, an ad from Dad. All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. But let's finish, Andy, with the Utah Jazz, who I've been alluding to in this episode as the other team from this division that I think could have finals aspirations this year. And a big part of that is Mike Conley, who they acquired from the Grizzlies for the very low price of Grayson Allen, Darius Baisley, Jay Crowder, Kyle Korver, and a 2020 protected first-round pick. Really not a huge loss among them, at least in terms of this is like a you know four or five dimes for a dollar type trade where you're trading mm-hmm. a lot of depth, but like you have an all-star caliber point guard in Mike Conley now, and you're slotting him next to Donovan Mitchell helping to reduce that playmaking duty that Mitchell struggled in last year because he had to just do everything. So how do you see mm-hmm. Conley fitting with Mitchell and with Utah this year? Well, first off, I agree with your characterization of the trade. My my co-host on Hardwood Knox, Dan Favelli, and I have gone back and forth on this. He feels like they paid a pretty good price, like a pretty steep price. Mm. For Mitchell or for Conley, and I, I'm with you. I don't think Corver would have done much for them next season anyway. He's he's kind of on his last legs. He was he didn't even play really in the playoffs. Um, 
Grayson Allen has got a long way to go uh, mm-hmm. as someone who watched pretty much all his minutes last season. And Jay Crowder, I think, was was really helpful for them. The minutes with him at the four and Gobert at the five were really, really good for Utah. But he's also one of the worst high-volume three-point shooters in the league. Um, so now you've got, and, and I think Mort's probably going to hit on this next, but you've got Bogdanovich instead of him, one of the better three-point shooters in the league. Um, you've got much, much better shooting from Conley than you had in Rubio. Mm-hmm. And to me, the entire roster just fits together so much better than yeah. it did last season. I think the biggest loss was obviously Derek Favors, but it's, he just was never an ideal fit next to Rudy Gobert. I mean, they made it work as well as they possibly could, but now they've got all these pieces that are just, it's its like a perfect little puzzle now. Um, in terms of Conley and Mitchell specifically, I think they're certainly undersized, and that could be problematic on defense, especially as, as backcourts around the league are you know trending up in terms of size. Um, but neither, I mean, they're, they're both plenty competitive on that end. They're, they're going to be some nights when they're just physically outmatched. Um, but that's, that's to me the biggest concern offensively. I think they could both help each other out immensely. Like you said, Mitchell had to do so much for this offense over the last two seasons and to have multiple creators around him now who will take a little pressure off is going to be huge. And I actually think there's a little bit of reciprocity there. I, I, I think Mike Conley has had to carry a huge load in Memphis mm-hmm. over the last few seasons. So now he's going to have a couple guys around him who can take some pressure off. I think both of these guys could conceivably see a slight uptick in efficiency. Um, offensively, I love the fit between the two. They can both run pick and roll. They can both hit threes. Um, if there's a slight concern, it's on defense. But then you've got Rudy Gobert backing you up. Right. Um, and you've got, in- <laughs> so you've got Ingles, one of the better perimeter defenders in the league. Royce O'Neal's a really good perimeter defender. Uh, Exum, if he can stay healthy, he's a good perimeter defender. So they've got a lot of wings and guards that I think can help with those defensive issues. So, I mean, ultimately, just about every move they made to me this summer was, was just, uh, <laughs> if not a home run, at least like a double or a triple every time. So they, they did really well this offseason. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and we can touch on some of the, the minor guys they got later because I think that helps in terms of their season outlook. But more, let's hit the other big one first is Boyan Bogdanovich, as Andy mentioned. Um, you know, you got him from Indiana for a pretty half, hefty price, but... What do you see him bringing to the table in Utah? I mean, a lot of shooting, a lot of spacing, obviously. That's that's the number one, right? But here's the thing with Bogdanovich. Like, he can actually handle the ball pretty well. Uh, some, I've seen on Twitter a lot of people, you know, talk to him, talk about him as if he's just an up-and-down shooter, like he can't dribble, just, you know, a standstill pick-and-pop player. And that's just not true. He can put the ball on the floor. He can create himself mid-range jump shot. And he's such a clean shooter as well, so you don't mind him taking those. He's got some. He's got great size. Um, well, at least when he plays the small forward position. <laughs> when he plays the four at 6'8", he's, he's a little bit undersized. But the fact that he has a high release point and it's a quick shot and so efficient, you know, you can live with that. Um, I, I just love his demeanor to the game. He's not a guy who comes in and, and demands X amount of shots every single time down. You know, he's he's a guy who plays within the flow of the offense. He's going to allow Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell to establish themselves, and he's going to play off of that pairing. He's going to help Rudy Gobert get more you know, space in the paint. Like Gobert himself, like a lot of people are talking about him as a non-scorer, which is just that's not true anymore. He averaged what sixteen, I want to say, off the top of my head last year. So this, there's just so many offensive components for Utah right now, and I think Bojan especially is going to tie all that together in a great yeah. way. Yeah, well, 
don't ask Team USA if Rudy Gobert is a non-scorer because they yeah they got a rude reminder of that this week. But yeah, I'm totally with you. I think they're gonna basically have to have a small ball four on the floor in their starting lineup, whether it's Bogdanovich or Joe Ingles. And frankly, those guys kind of seem interchangeable to me on offense, at least in terms of I don't really care who's the nominal three or the nominal four. I don't mm. think there's going to be one. I think they're both just going to be, as you mentioned, more. they can both be secondary playmakers behind Conley and Ingles, which is going to, be, again, take some of that pressure off of Mitchell. Um, and then they also both great shooters, of course. So, yeah, I mean, I love the conceptual fit here. Um, Andy, you mentioned Derek Favors as the big loss of the summer. And there is always the question of, you know, how does he fit with Gobert? It was never the cleanest necessarily, but their net rating was still usually pretty good together, especially this past year. And then he also, of course, moonlighted as their backup five, which is the role he's going to play in New Orleans, presumably. But like he was very efficient in that role. So how do they replace him in Utah this year? I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but I, I wrote an article, I think it was for Forbes recently, about how I thought Favors was sneakily one of the best pickups in the NBA this summer for New Orleans. Because like you said, when he played the five, um, I think it was something like 20 points, 13 or 14 rebounds per 36 minutes with, when he was the five. Um, he, he was just great in that role. And... Um, it was a luxury to have a guy who's good enough to start at power forward, but is not going to throw any kind of a fit that he only plays, you know, 22, 23 minutes a game and gets the bulk of his minutes as a backup five. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was a trooper for them over the last few seasons. I think he's a very, very talented player. And I think he knows that. Um, but he, he was just willing to fill that very unique role. Um, now, the other thing about him is when he was coming off the bench, and, and they had this sort of secret weapon last season where they played him and Ingles against backups. Mm. And the numbers on that lineup, I, th- I think the net rating was, I, I can't remember exactly what it is, but um, just Google Andy Bailey, Derek Favors, Forbes. Maybe you'll find it. <laughs> um, they were good uh, with Ingles and Favors. So I think there are some, some real question marks. They go from having... I think one of the best backup centers in the league in Derek Favors um, to maybe a little bit more of a question mark. But like I said earlier, it wasn't just it wasn't just the Conley and Bogdanovich moves that mm-hmm. were really good for Utah. It was like they had moves that would create new holes, like getting rid of Favors for Bogdanovich caused a little bit of a hole to arrive, but then they filled it with Ed Davis. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's quite as good as Derek Favors, and they have different strengths. But if he's if he's your backup center and he's only playing like 13, 14 minutes a game, that's a really, really good backup center. Uh, he was one of the best rebounders in the league last season. I think his true shooting percentage is actually a little bit higher than Favors. Um, it remains to be seen if he can have that sort of same pick-and-roll chemistry with Ingles that Favors did. Um, but he he's an option there. Another thing I think was interesting um, – if you look at Jeff Green's numbers, and he's mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a guy who's obviously drawn a lot of analysis over the course of his career, but he's been a little bit better the last couple seasons when he plays center, believe it or not. Um, if they can find some small ball five minutes for him at center, and you've, you've got basically five playmakers on the floor, I think those are interesting lineups that you can get away with for, for, for small stretches. Um, 
so yes, I think Favors is really, really good. I think by a lot of numbers last season, he was he was their second best player, according to some of the advanced metrics. But it goes back to what we've been talking about with Utah for a few minutes. It just wasn't a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. And now they've got a bunch of guys that fit a little bit better. So I think they'll miss him. Um, certainly in terms of like off-court and chemistry stuff, they'll probably miss him too. But the, the lineup and the roster in general has, has most definitely improved. Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm glad you followed the one rule of this podcast, which is no Jeff Green slander. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think it's a fair point that Jeff Green at like $15 million a year was overpaid, and that led to expectations that he was never going to live up to. But Jeff Green at a one-year minimum deal, that's a great mm-hmm. pickup. And like Emmanuel mm-hmm. Moutier, too, for the same reason. I mean, yes, he's, you know, if you, you're paying him $10 plus million a year, that's probably not great the expectations in denver were very high because he was a lottery pick or a mid-lottery pick if you get him on the cheap it's worth the gamble like you gambling on talent here and those guys are both very talented ed davis i mean you're right he's not Derek favors but he's still an excellent rebounder great on box outs too i mean he's just going to do the dirty work and they don't necessarily need much more than that from him they you know, someone on Twitter the other day was talking about like the New England Patriots and how they kind of just cater their system to maximize each player's strengths and hide their weaknesses, which is just a smart strategy for all sports teams to follow. And to me, Utah mm-hmm. this year has the blueprint where they can kind of do that. Like all of their players, as you said, Andy, it's like a puzzle that just fits really well together. And I think they're going to be able to maximize the strengths of their players without having to overexpose a Moutier or a Jeff Green or anything like that. So, Mort, that leads into the big question with Utah, which, you know, you, you mentioned you had Denver as your finals pick before the Kawhi-Paul uh, George thing. I wrote mm. a piece, I think, for fan side, I don't want to say, uh, right after the Conley trade, where I said, look, Utah's a finals contender. Uh, how do you think they stack up in the West? And do you think, I, I know you mentioned, you know, Denver and L.A. are your top two records at least in the regular season but do you think utah has legitimate finals aspirations this year or should they of course of course they do uh i mean just look at the roster they assembled and and the fact that there's cohesiveness all all around like you just mentioned ed davis here before like he is a a wonderful locker room presence as well he's one of a guy who who consistently you know is brought up in terms of like best teammate in the league conversations so the the chemistry is there, the talent that is there, the fit is is seems to be very like well done all around. Uh, the coaching is there. They have the experience because of the playoffs in recent years. I mean, I, I just love the whole combination. So yeah, they're, they're absolutely a finals contender. And, and by the way, you just brought up like Emmanuel Moutier on, on the minimum deal. You know, you know, getting someone like that. I when I brought, I I really lauded that deal when it came up uh, on Twitter because I, I loved it. And people were like, "What? It's Emmanuel Moutier," and and were basically crapping on the signing, even though it was reported me almost immediately that it was it was a minimum deal. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking at his numbers right now. Are we sure that he's not already better than Andrew Wiggins? <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be complete without some Andrew Wiggins I, slander. I smell a blind pole on Twitter. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, no. Oh, that's going to be a disaster. I'm, I'm just saying, if, if if one of those you know late summer signings that you get in the bargain bin for a minimum deal can is at least comparable to Andrew Wiggins, 
I think you're all right, man. I think you're definitely a finals contender. <laughs> well, that is a good way to wrap up. And Andy, that's also a good place to ask you one more time where people can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work. Well, thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. Uh, again, my Twitter handle is Andrew D. Bailey, and my articles are up on Bleacher Report and uh, Forbes. Right now, I've got a series for Bleacher Report going that's been a ton of fun to put together. It's actually pretty excruciating to put together because it's hard to make some of the cuts, but it's been top 10 point guards, shooting guards, small forwards, power forwards, and centers. Um, we have a couple of partners in our office uh at the law firm that that watched the NBA in like sixties and seventies, and they're oh, nice. like, "Why isn't Dave Bing on the list? Why isn't uh, like all these deep cuts from like the fifties and sixties? So it's it's been a fun thing to debate um, back and forth. But yeah, you can you can find all that stuff on Bleach Report right now. Yeah, it, I edited the point guards piece. It was really a really good fun read, and the, yes, the series has been great so far. So check that out. Follow Andy on Twitter so you can see him burn down the internet when he blind pulls Moody A versus Awakens again. <laughs> God. Uh, I think it, my favorite, speaking of the Jazz, um, when I got like a 90 to 10 result for Joe Ingles over Clay Thompson, that was like my Mona Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. Yeah, this is, it's just like internet chaos theory with those blind pulls. I love it. <laughs> Um, in the meantime, please follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five star reviews. And we're now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Until next time, I'm Brian Toporek, and I was joined today by Morton Jensen and Andy Bailey. Have a good one, guys. You too, man. Hey, sports fans, football season is here, and the time has come for you and your friends to have some fun. MyBookie.net is the industry-leading sports action website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, basketball, college, and all your favorite sports events. You can take a side, total, or try their in-game live action. Go to MyBookie.net to open an account and use promo code CHAMPION to be entered into our amazing prize pool. That's MyBookie.net promo code CHAMPION. Get in on the action today. No deposit is necessary. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void were prohibited. Napa know-how. Now at Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $20 prepaid Visa gift card when you buy oil, air, and cabin air filters. Because let's be honest, you probably don't remember the last time you changed them. So buy all three filters at your local Napa and get 20 bucks back. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. Limit two prepaid cards per household while supplies last. Offer ends 10 19